Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You probably didn't know that this was a real thing. The National UFO Reporting Center. Google it. Look it up. There is a website. I'm sure there's a website for a lot of things that you didn't know were real. But there is a website called the National UFO Reporting Center. You can go there. I'm sure some of you are probably going there now just because I've, 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 I've tantalized you. I've teased you with it. You can see all of the reported... UFO sightings that have taken place in our in this in this starry land. I, I ran across this one from March 29th, 2013. UFO sighted on Nickajack Road on Lookout Mountain. Look it up. Fact check me. And this is what the report says. My mom and I saw a UFO last night, Sunday, September 29th, 2013, while driving up Lookout Mountain on Nickajack Road near Flintstone, Georgia. The object we saw had small red lights underneath with a larger white light beam out front. They actually typed it wrong and they said bean, B-E-A-N, but we can assume that means uh, beam. It appeared to be hovering above the road, about the height of a cell phone tower. The shape looked to be a V, or maybe a cross, because those two things look very similar. It was pitch dark outside, so we could not see any other details. It did not appear to be moving. We slowed our car for several seconds. We thought about turning around to try to video it, but we were a bit scared and it continued on home. The object was still uh, the object was still there when uh, f- the object was still there for as long as we could see. The grammar's not great, uh, so let's just go ahead and clarify that these reports aren't checked for grammar and, and spelling errors or anything like that. Now I will say that I tried to cross-reference drug arrests with UFO sightings on, in Flintstone. And I couldn't find any correlation there. Now, I'm not sure what you think about UFO sightings. If you go to that website, you'll see there's a lot of people who believe in them. But I will say this. If intelligent life from another part of the universe is trying to visit us, we are doing a pretty stellar job of making sure that they don't want to stick around. If a UFO is an unidentified flying object, then Luke is about to introduce us to a whole bunch of identified flying objects. Now, Dr. Luke, he's not been afraid to mention the presence of angels in the story of Jesus' birth. Luke begins his gospel with a very simple statement. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses as ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Dr. Luke was a researcher. He researched his gospel, and he wrote it to a man by the name of Theophilus. And so we understand 
understand that as a researcher that I can imagine that he would have sat down and had interviews with eyewitnesses, that he would have talked to those people who were part of the original story. That's what he says he, he does here, to, to put together an orderly account. So I can imagine how when Luke sat down to talk with these folks, how they would have reported about their, their angelic visitors. And of course, we see that the other gospels don't don't mention shepherds. So you have to believe that Luke found these shepherds and sat down and said, tell me everything. I want to know what your experience was in that field that night that Jesus was born. You know, the last two weeks, we've looked at some of these quote-unquote Christmas songs that are part of the birth of Jesus. They, they form uh, together a, a playlist of sorts of these, uh, of these songs that are bearing the good news of Jesus' birth. And Luke has managed to record Mary's song that is commonly called the Magnificat. He records Zechariah's song as Zechariah's tongue is unleashed to declare God's glory in the birth of John the Baptist. And now Luke has managed to record for us the song of the angels. So this morning, let's turn our attention to the most familiar part of the Christmas story, something that those kids were trying to get right in the video a minute ago. And let's hear the next song on our Christmas playlist. Today we'll be in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and following. I'd invite you to stand as I read these words together. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for I will, um, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and as it had been told to them. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the precious story of Jesus' birth. This, this journey of the shepherds is part of the story that we hear so often during this season and I pray, Lord, as we reflect on the angels' words today, that those words might still bear fruit in our lives today, that we would not lose sight of their significance in spite of their familiarity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Yeah, any time I hear this passage read aloud, I, I automatically think about a frustrated Charlie Brown standing there on the stage at the Christmas pageant when all of his friends have deserted and they mock him because of the ugly Christmas tree that he brought back. And Charlie Brown, frustrated as the only guy there, doesn't anybody know what Christmas is all about? 
If it helps you to think of a little black squiggle on top of my head to really get the full effect, feel free. The only friend that Charlie Brown has left, old Linus, is right there. And then Linus proceeds to tell Charlie Brown exactly what Christmas was all about. You know, that particular night there in the fields of Bethlehem, there was really nothing special going on. You know, I imagine that all the locals were probably talking about the traffic because that's what happens, right? Because we know what's going on. The, the, the Roman government has required everybody to go to their hometown so that you could be taxed. And so Bethlehem was probably overrun with people who didn't live there anymore. There was crowded, lots of out-of-towners. The shepherds are sitting out in the field fussing about how long it took them to, to, you know, to get from point A to point B. Probably the only place in Bethlehem that felt somewhat normal that night were the fields that were being watched by those third shift shepherds. But that normal night was about to be interrupted by the angel of the Lord who had a message to give to these late night guardians of the flock. The angel, maybe Gabriel, he's been the, the angelic star of the show thus far, he begins his visit with these shepherds with the customary initial greeting of all angelic meetings, fear not, do not be afraid. I, I love the way the King James words the original story. It, we're told that the shepherds were, were sore afraid. These guys could take on a fierce predator in the middle of the dark in the fields of Bethlehem, but their galvanized courage was nothing when they came face to face with the angel of the Lord. You see, they weren't just afraid, they were sore afraid. I've never been so afraid that I was sore before. But the shepherds this night are sore afraid. And you've got to wonder if the angels ever get tired of that particular greeting. Don't be afraid. You think the angels, you know, they meet after the, after the visit and say, can we do this differently so that they're not terrified every time we see them? Instead of the angel, every single time, don't, don't be afraid. Don't, don't worry. Fear not. This time, though, the angel, we're told, is displaying a particular kind of glory. Luke says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So this is not some, some incredible heavenly figure that shows up. This is an incredibly heavenly figure that shows up in the dark when suddenly there is light everywhere. So the shepherd and the sheep went from the darkness of night to full-blown noontime daylight. It had to be a spectacle there in the dark fields of Bethlehem. But this angel had some very important information to convey to these shepherds. This angel, when he encounters these shepherds, he is boldly declaring at this point forward that the terms and conditions were changing. You know, prior to this moment, things worked in a particular way. But going forward from this particular moment, things were going to look necessarily different. Now, we experience this in our day and time where the terms change, the, the terms and conditions change. We have companies that send us stuff in the mail all the time that it's about their privacy policies. And I know you guys read those word for word when they come in the mail. They, they tell you what's changing, what's different. If you're like me, you see what it says and it goes in the, in the shredder because ultimately it's probably not going to affect what you do. We have technology companies that update their terms and conditions, and you all know that if you'll put your Facebook post right there, that, that means that you don't have to follow it, right? 
post this so Facebook can't use your information. <laughs> they got your information. There's nothing you can post is going to change that. But when we see these things, we quickly scroll to the bottom. We, we don't read it, and all we do is we what? We click. I agree. Here's all my information. Do what you want to with it. I don't care. I agree because I really want to use your service. All of history has been leading up to this moment when the angel of the Lord speaks to these shepherds. All of history has been pointing to this moment. God has had a plan of redemption in place since the foundation of the world. The arrival of Jesus was not new information, but the work of Jesus means that there's a new set of terms. Listen to what the angel says. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel could not be clearer. In an instant, the angel has declared what this event is all about. This statement that the angel makes is two simple English sentences. It is 25 words in Luke's original manuscript. But the reality is that these two sentences are two of the most history-shaping, earth-shaking, life-changing statements that have ever been uttered. It literally only takes 10 seconds to declare these sentences. But consider the significance of what they say. First, Jesus is good news. This is the best news. Uh, of course, the shepherds there, they're not sure of the extent of this good news that's began here in the fields of Bethlehem. But good news is at hand. The angel declares, behold, I bring you good news. God has broken the silence. He has seen our affliction. He has broken the separation. This is good news. Gone are the days when you had to approach God every year through the blood of an animal sacrifice. There was coming, in the person of Jesus, a once-and-done sacrifice that would forever tear down the dividing wall between God and man. We would no longer need to approach God through the inadequate blood of an animal because we would be able to find that we, have, we can be cleansed by the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. For people like us who, who've never had to, to live under the restrictions of the law, we lose the significance of what this means. But this is good news that is began here in the fields of Bethlehem. But secondly, good news brings great joy. It's not mediocre joy. Eh, it's not, as I say today, it's not meh. It's okay joy. It's, it's great joy. The, the Greek word that's actually used here is the word that we get mega from. So you go to the fast food restaurant, you want a, you want a big soda, you're going to mega size it, right? The bad, the bad guy in Transformers is Megatron. He's the big bad guy. Mega, we understand what mega means, and so what we get here is that good news brings about mega joy. It's not just little joy. It's, it's mega joy. Nothing compares to it. Nothing's like it. It's mega joy. Nothing can steal it. Nothing can redefine it. It is mega joy, and the good news about mega joy, according to the angel, is that mega joy is for all the people. It's for all the people. Because here's the thing. God is changing the way he deals 
with the nations. Prior to this day, God sought to work through the nation of Israel to draw the nations to himself. Israel was to be a a witness to the nations of what it means to walk with the one true God. Going forward, though, God would no longer use the nation of Israel to draw the nations to himself. Instead, going forward, God would use the gospel, the good news, to draw all nations to himself. He would use this new nation of priests that he is creating. We call it the church today to bring that joy to the nations. We have a role in this plan. You see, we are not on the sidelines cheering God on as he brings about this good news plan of mega joy for the nations. We are not spectators in a cosmic arena. Because God has changed the terms of the engagement, every single one of us who are in Christ have been enlisted into this grand scheme that God has to bring the good news to the nations. The shepherds that night experienced an angelic army bringing in this good news, but now God has enlisted an army of kingdom citizens to bring this good news to all people. Why is this so good? The angel says it very simply, because today a Savior has been born. You ever notice the shepherds don't struggle with this truth? It's not like they were cool up until that point, and then the, the Savior piece comes in and they're, they're hesitant. It's not the angel. I bring you good news of, yeah, keep going. Uh, great joy. You mean mega joy? Yeah, mega joy. We love mega joy. For, for all the people, shepherds, we're following. We're tracking with you. We're cool. We're good with this. This is exciting. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Oh, well, never mind. We were with you right up until you said Savior. Because, I mean, look, we're good. We don't need saved from anything. You see, the shepherds knew this Christ this Messiah, this anointed one of Israel, this, this is what they've been waiting for. This is good news. It's good news for all people. It's good news for third shift shepherds. And it's good news for you and for me. It's terrible news if you miss it. No sooner than the angel of the Lord describes the situation into which this Savior was born that he is joined with an unimaginable spectacle. A multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared. I can't even fathom what this must have been like. To, to be scared at the first angel, right? To be sore afraid at the first angel. And then the next thing you know, no sooner than than he declares that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, boom! The heavens are literally illuminated with the heavenly host of angels. How many is that? We don't even know. It's uncountable. Anytime angels are numbered in the Bible, it's a number that's not countable. It's not like they say, it's about 10 or 12. An innumerable number of angels would have filled the skies. And Listen to me. <laughs> this is, in our Christmas programs, you've seen these things. 
we bring the cutest children that we have. We put them in white robes, and somebody goes to Walmart and buys a big roll of silver, tins, uh, silver garland. And then we work on fashioning coat hangers and pipe cleaners into this little halo that we then glue the silver garland to so that we have this Christmas pageant full of cute little children with little silver garland halos around their head. And that's cute. It serves its purpose. I imagine that this scene in the fields of Bethlehem would have been far more terrifying than that. Again, what's the initial greeting every time an angel meets a human? It's either don't be afraid or don't worship me. Now, those are the two things angels say every single time. Don't be afraid or don't worship me. And here, an innumerable number of angels have filled the heavens. One angel was enough to, illuminate, uh, to get rid of the darkness. And now the field of Bethlehem, the sky is, is covered with an innumerable number of angels. This had to be terrifying. And for Jewish shepherds, again, this is not some, oh, how pretty. What an encouragement to see all these angels fill the heavens. These Jewish shepherds would have understood that they are standing in the presence of heaven's army. This is like in the, the spiritual equivalent of the 101st Airborne showing up, Right? If you're in, a, in an enemy uh, combat zone somewhere overseas and the 101st Airborne starts jumping out of the back of cargo transporters, you are like, yeah, the good guys are here. The, the reinforcements are here. If you're, if you're the enemy, you're, you're terrified. Here we have heaven's armies appearing in the heavens above. This was no Christmas pageant program. But this army had one simple message. And this song must have been thunderous in the ears of these shepherds. Again, it's not harps and small children's voices. This is heaven's army filling the skies. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Gone. Just like that. Vanished into the darkness from which they emerged. What were they singing? The first line of their song was a simple praise and affirmation to God. I imagine that when we go to heaven and we are, we're confronted with the host of heaven's angels, I imagine that's probably a phrase that we hear a lot. Sometimes Baptists complain about modern praise and worship music being seven, 11 songs, seven words, 11 times over and over again. I imagine we're going to hear this phrase a lot in heaven. So if y'all don't like it, you're going to have to get over it. Glory to God in the highest. I bet we hear that over and over and over and over again. And I bet for all of eternity, it will never, ever, ever get old. Here's the thing. You can't hear the news of mega joy 
and not give praise to God for it. You can't hear this incredible declaration and not reflect in in praise and thanksgiving. If the good news of the gospel does not bring about praise and thanksgiving in your life, then there is something wrong with you, or you're not a Christian. If, if this good news of great joy for all people, that there is a Savior who has been born, if that does not promote praise and thanksgiving in your heart, then there is something deeply wrong with you. Every time we hear the gospel, we should find ourselves in the midst of mega joy, and our hearts should be compelled. Glory to God in the highest. But the second part of their song, needs to give us pause to consider exactly what they're saying. Now, if you're looking at a King James Version, you'll likely see that it's worded a little differently than some of our more contemporary English translations. And this is one of the things that our King James-only friends get worked up about. I think it's important for us to speak with integrity about these things when they come up and not just pretend that they're not there because there is a debate to be had in this case. The King James Version says in chapter 2, verse 14 here, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. If you memorize this as a kid, you likely memorize that in, in those words. The English Standard Version, which I use other contemporary English versions, worded a little bit differently. The first phrase is the same, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. And then it changes a little bit, among those with whom he is pleased. That's a little bit of a different phrase. What's going on here? Well, the difference comes down to a single Greek letter. That's it. Just one letter, one single Greek letter that there's some conversation about. So the question is, how do we respond when we see those kind of things show up from time to time? And it's important for us as we think about this that we understand how Bible translations come about. You've got your Bible and it's a single translation. If you're looking at a device right now, you can probably have access to 10 different translations in the blink of an eye. So how do those come about? Well, Bible translations are made from very old copies of the original author's work. As far as we know, we don't have any of Paul's original letters. We don't have Luke's original gospel. Those documents are written on paper and papyrus and scrolls. They don't survive well over the course of time unless they're preserved in a particular way. But those translations are made from very old copies of the original author's work. Back in the day, they didn't have photocopiers. Uh, you know, they didn't click print. Luke didn't finish typing and click print and made a few extra copies. Luke wrote it all by hand. He may have had somebody helping him as he was dictating. But in order for Luke's gospel to be communicated to someone else, another person had to sit down and, and copy it by hand. And what a laborious task, right? And there were people who were paid very well in that day as scribes, and their whole purpose was to make hand copies of important documents. And so Luke's gospel was copied over and over and over again and spread around and distributed. And I don't know about you, you may have made a mistake once or twice when you're copying something. Nobody's ever made a, a typo before. And so sometimes those happen. And so we now have dozens of these ancient copies, sometimes hundreds of smaller fragments of those ancient copies. And while people who don't trust the Bible would look at this and say, you can't believe anything it says, look how many different copies there are, we would look at it and say, thanks be to God that among all the copies there are amazingly few of these little bitty issues that come up from time to time. So God has really preserved his word for us. 
And when those things do appear, people who translate the Bible into contemporary languages, they've got to make a decision. How do you properly give how do you properly do this? How do you how do you honor the 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 the, the truth of scripture and how do you do this? And so they make a decision based on the context of a passage. Well, what does this say in relation to other things similar? You know, how old is this? So like if I went back and copied Luke's gospel by hand, they would look at that and say, that's a little too fresh for us, right? Brian's translation wouldn't get very much traction because Brian was not around back then. So an older copy has more value because it's survived longer and it's closer to the original. In this case, the older copies favor the more modern rendering of the angel song. At the same time, the context would also seem to favor the more modern version. So what does that mean for us as we seek to understand the angel's song? The good news, as the, gave, as the, the angel of the Lord has declared, the good news is for everyone. We agree with that. But true peace is only found in the hearts of those with whom he is pleased. Or as the New International Version renders it, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is saying something very important to us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is for everyone, but the good news is bad news for those who miss it. It's bad news for those who miss it. If you go over to the Pacific Ocean and you go to the coast on the Pacific Ocean, you will find that there are, there's an alert system in place there. It alerts people of, of tsunamis. We don't, we don't have to worry about tsunamis in Flintstone. If we did, we probably got a lot bigger problems on our hands. But if you are sitting there on the beach in the Pacific Ocean and, and you hear the tsunami alert goes off, you're having a nice day at the beach and you hear the alarm goes off, hey, guess what? Is that good news or bad news? It's good news for you because you hear that alarm go off. What can you do then? Get inland, get to higher ground. You've got time to to go to safety. But if you're sitting on the beach and you've got your headphones in and the alert goes off and you don't hear it and you look around and everybody's leaving the beach and your first thought is, man, this place is really thinning out. It's going to be a nice afternoon here at the beach. I get to have this place all to myself. And you've really got your tunes in and you miss the alert and the tsunami comes. Guess what? bad news because you missed the warning you missed the good news you didn't have time to get out of harm's way this is the angel's song it is good news if you respond to it it is good news if you take it seriously it is good news if you listen to what they say It's terrible news if you miss it. Because here's the thing. There is no peace apart from Jesus. We believe that? That's what the gospel does. There is no peace apart from Jesus. I think we can all agree that the reality of our human existence is that our world is filled with turmoil and grief and angst. You don't have to look very hard to find it. You don't have to work very much to to see grief and agony and pain. We understand that our streets are prone to violence. We recognize that our nations are prone to war. But this is Christmas time. 
We read from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. But as we read these words, we have to understand something profound. While we wait for the kingdom of heaven, while we wait for the eternal reign of the Prince of Peace, we live in a world that is marked by the outworking of falling humanity. Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. But you see, the peace of which the angels sing, it's not found in the affairs of men. The peace of which the angels sing is found in the hearts of the citizens of the kingdom of God. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the message of the angels' Christmas song. That if you want peace, peace is not found in the world. Peace is found in Jesus. The point I've made for each of these sermons in this series is simply this. The world is singing Jesus' songs. Right now, through the Christmas season. Because the... That's what Christmas does, the birth of the Savior. It brings in good news of great joy for all people. The birth of a Savior is good news of great joy for anybody. Because here's the thing. Christmas. Christmas will get you close to the kingdom of God. It gets you close. But it won't get you into the kingdom. And while the whole world is singing Jesus' songs, joy to the world, the Lord has come, silent night, holy night. We need just a little bit more. You see, this is the good news. The gospel is good news of great joy for all people but it's bad news if you miss it. But for those who do not miss it, for those who surrender their lives to the Savior, for those who submit themselves to the rule of the King, for those who understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born on this day in which we remember him on Christmas, was born that he might give his life as a substitute for us to pay the price for our sins on the cross. He would lay down his life on our behalf so that we might be washed by his blood. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. You see, you don't need just Christ. Christmas, you got to have Easter too. And that is good news. For those who submitted themselves to the rule of the king, who've given their life to Jesus, the angel song applies peace for those on whom his favor rests. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that cannot be described. Peace that comes to us in the worst of circumstances. 
You see, that is the nature of peace because this kind of peace that is ushered in by the gospel is a soul peace that gives us rest even when the world around us is in disarray. I'm confident today that in Kentucky and Tennessee and in Arkansas where churches have been wiped off their foundation that the buildings may be gone but the church still meets because the church knows peace in Jesus. This is the kind of peace that visits us in the prison cell. This is the kind of peace that stays with us in the ICU. This is the kind of peace that doesn't overlook us at the funeral home. This is the kind of peace that walks with us through the job crisis. This is the kind of peace that holds us tight during the miscarriage or loss of a child. This is the kind of peace that watches over us day in and day out. But it's only found in Jesus. So I need you to ask yourself a simple question today. Ask it in your heart. Do I have this kind of peace in my life? Peace even found in the midst of terrible storms and tragedy. If the answer is no, then I have to ask you the question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Not in the church sense of, well, I go to church, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm not talking about that. Sometimes we treat church as an empty work that's going to get us into heaven and we're not going to be able to hold our church attendance card up to Jesus and say, let us in, it's not going to work. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus. Isn't that what it comes down to? The gospel's good news for all people. But for those in whom have given their life to Jesus, peace is offered through Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? God, how grateful we are for your word, for peace that passes all understanding. How grateful we are for the angel's message. Glory to God in the highest and peace on whom your favor rests. You have given us everything that we need to know the truth, to be aware of our sin, and know the solution to our problem. And that solution is Jesus, Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who laid down his life that we might be set free. And that in trusting in Christ, turning from sin, turning from self, and turning to Jesus, peace is made available. Lord, in this room, we know that there are those who, for whatever reason, they don't have peace in their life right now. It's the middle of a constant storm. Lord, maybe in some of those lives, there are those who, they've been hoping in a religious resume to earn your favor, but they've never given their life to Jesus. In these next few moments, God, I would pray that you would 
call them. They would feel that call in in their life and they would surrender their life to Jesus. And maybe there's some right now that their life is in such a turmoil, such a storm. They don't know which way's up. But I pray, Father, that in the midst of whatever storm their life is experiencing, that they would look and see you steadfast and true, reminding them of peace that's available to them that passes all understanding. And God, would we be reminded today that that good news that's for all people, it's our job to make sure that all people know. And so this Christmas season, whether it's through our gifts to Lottie Moon or through our testimony with our neighbor, would we work hard to make sure that all might know the truth of the gospel, which is good news for all people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.